Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. My guest today, he's getting healthy, he's getting fit, but we're going to keep the tacos because you can't say no to tacos. Who am I talking to? Who is this guest? Who is this mysterious person you're about to meet? And we're going to learn a lot. I'm going to learn a ton from today. He's a marketing and AI expert, right? Not just the, the Hufflepuff kind that just throwing it out. See, I just insulted a whole house now. Whole Hogwarts house is now pissed off. They're not listening. Gryffindor forever. Anyways, um, the, an actual thought leader around marketing and AI. There's so much hype right now. We're going to get into it. We're going to learn what's real, what's not real. And in his marketing and AI expertise, it's, there's a purpose to it. It's to grow, and he's already helped 100 companies do just that. Senior marketing consultant at PR 2020, instructor at the AI Academy for Marketers, director of the Marketing Artificial Intelligence Institute. Hell yeah. Mike Caput, welcome to the show, sir. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, man. I mean, just, you're busy. You're doing a lot of things, huh? Yeah, I wear a lot of hats. <laughs> I bet you do. So the theme today, people didn't already guess it, it's like marketing plus AI. And I got to tell you, one time I, I downloaded a white paper that, that said it would tell me the answer to that mysterious formula, and it was complete garbage. It didn't know anything. It was all hype. So tell you what, I'm going to pass you this thing real quick. Hold on, it's heavy. Ugh, there we go. Okay, here you go. You got it? Thor's hammer? I got it. One hand, you backhand grabbed. You play tennis or something? Holy <laughs> crap. All right, so wield that however you want to because clearly you have more experience with that than I do. Smash something. Smash a marketing myth, bogus strategy, misconception. Set the record straight once and for all. Sure. So one big myth that almost every marketer on the planet has uh, heard of and believes in when it comes to artificial intelligence is some variation of that AI is kind of this mysterious magical thing. And right. while AI is this complex set of technologies, it is not magic at all. Forget, I'm a huge sci-fi fan. We can get into that later, but yes. forget all the sci-fi movies books, <laughs> and anything else you've read or seen. We're not talking self-aware machines taking over the world. We're not talking Skynet, Terminator, anything like that. AI Ex is, Machina. <laughs> exactly. Great movie. We should also circle back to that. We will circle um, back to that. <laughs> it, AI is not any of these things. These things aren't real. They're fiction. AI is not this magical set of technologies. It's a very real thing that is having a very real impact on marketers like you whether you are technical or not. So that's right. a huge myth that we see all the time, and okay. I understand why, but marketers need to get rid of it, need to smash it. Okay, so it, it's not magical. It's, not, it's still mysterious, I guess, until we listen to this episode. So what, what is it if it's not this magical you know, fairy dust thing that is going to take over the planet? <laughs> so I've... Uh, phrase I hear often that I really like is it's not magic, it's math. Artificial intelligence is a set of technologies that run on some very sophisticated computer science techniques and mathematical techniques. And we'll get into a bit how this makes them 
these technologies really, really different from the traditional software you're using. But at the end of the day, AI and anything related to AI is just smarter technology. And that holds true both outside marketing in a lot of the ways we're using AI, like smartphones, self-driving cars, you know, your Amazon recommendations, anything from the mundane to the truly like world changing. And it also applies to AI in marketing. So it's not magic, it's math. Correct. Okay. And it, would you say it's just another layer of smart technology? It's just another layer on top of it? How is it, you mentioned this, how is it different from our current technology? Like what's- Yeah, sure. So what, the way we like to think about it is artificial intelligence is the science of making machines smart. So what that means is your traditional technology, no matter what we're talking about, like marketing automation software, scheduling software, accounting software, your tax software, whatever. This is interesting technology that makes your life easier by automating or enabling certain things. But at the end of the day, it's software that's hard coded by humans. So a human programmer gives it a set of rules and tells it what to do. Those rules right. are really effective to help you achieve something, but the machine is, a, it's a contained system. So, yeah it knows how to do your taxes one way. The only way it knows how to do them a different way is if a bunch of engineers get together and manually update the software. The difference with AI is that the machine can actually in certain contexts get smarter on its own. So we can unpack that over the course of this conversation, but really artificial intelligence is differentiated from traditional technology by the ability of the machine to sometimes write its own rules and find its own pathways to creating an outcome. So if you think about, let's say that tax software example, your typical tax software is going to follow a specific set of rules to help you do really complicated tax forms and maybe save some money. If there were a very sophisticated AI powered set of tax software, that software would help you do all those things, but it also may be able to use your data on your finances, uh, data from other Americans filing taxes, to then be able to actually recommend and get smarter on its own and recommend ways that you should actually be filing your taxes or deductions you should be making that it finds dynamically without the intervention of any type of human. So that's where we get into that kind of mysterious part that is where some of the misconceptions come from is the moment you say machines getting smarter on our, on their own, our imaginations start to run wild. They do. Right. <laughs> and then they turn into like blonde robots on spaceships blowing things up. Right. Uh, it's crazy. <laughs> uh, I, I let this, this makes sense. Like I, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad I'm able to learn from you because the tax example makes sense. And I think because of some good programmers in the past, I've seen programs that go, oh, hey, by the way, we discovered this. But really, it's more of semantics because the program was designed to look for X and Y, right? It's doing what it's told. Now, they maybe already presented it like, oh, look, we discovered this or, you know, we crunched this data and we found this pattern. But it was told to look for that pattern. And, you know, if this, then that. Um, whereas yeah. it sounds like, with the, with the the addition of AI, we it's discovering these patterns. It is discovering. I don't say loopholes, but maybe it's discovering a, a like a tax best practice that oh, 
interesting. My accountants didn't discover this, but I noticed that everyone else that took advantage of this 401k thing were able to do this thing. Interesting. Let's suggest that here. And it wasn't necessarily asked to do that. That's a perfect way of putting it. Okay. And, um, Maybe another good example to think about is think about Google Maps on your phone. This okay. is very sophisticated artificial intelligence. When you are in your car and you say, okay, I got to go to a, you know, a relative's house. I haven't been there in a while. Plot me a route. There is no programmer sitting behind a screen somewhere at Google headquarters plotting that route for you. Good the point. does it itself in real time. And it's so sophisticated at this point that it will actually change your route while you're driving if it detects an accident up ahead or a road closure or something like that. that. This is not static information. This is the machine taking in data in near real time to then plot a pathway, in this case, a literal pathway to your destination using its smarter artificial intelligence and some machine learning techniques. Well, now that gets a little confusing though, because isn't it just programmed to, to get me along the roads from A to B? Like what, what's the AI part of it? Or is it just the fact that it's creating the route and no one gave it a route in the beginning? That's exactly it. That second part, because okay. at the end of the day, both traditional technology and AI are they have goals, right? Yeah. The goal is to help you file your taxes, get you to your destination, whatever. Every machine has a goal. And this is where we get away from the magic part. There's okay. no machine out there, to my knowledge, that's going to invent its own goals and decide to take over the world oh. or take a day off or whatever. Yeah. Humans are always giving it an outcome to solve for. The big difference is that traditional technology can only solve for the outcome in the way the humans have told it to because the humans have already solved for it. So the engineers have already solved your problem. They've just hard-coded the solution into a machine so it can do it at scale without the engineers doing it every time. Whereas artificial intelligence can actually find its own pathways to the goal, some of which may actually be better than what engineers could come up with. Got it. What would be Google Maps without AI? How would that function? Uh, like MapQuest, probably. <laughs> I, I remember MapQuest, but like what, what, what's the difference? Like if you were to like strip out finding its own pathway. Here's, a, here's actually a great example. As someone who I'm, I hate to say I'm getting old enough to have used MapQuest back in high school where I would go on my desktop computer yeah. since I have a smartphone, type in my destination, literally print out directions. One time I did it, and one route it found, the road didn't exist. The road had been demolished six months before. So I literally went, took a turn, and there was no road. Right. <laughs> so this happened relatively frequently, not that long ago. This was at that point, maybe 20, 15 years ago. So in that sense, you're, it's really just a machine plotting out a series of predetermined steps a little faster than a human would. So it's better mm -hmm. than a traditional map, right? Yeah. You know, you don't have to sit there with a pen and paper, figure out where you're going. So software has its role and can actually make that process faster by automating it. But in terms of artificial intelligence, you're talking about a whole different level of capabilities like that, those capabilities I talked about where you are plotting the route in real time. It's taking in new data on road closures, cops, traffic, 
um, construction, even small changes in traffic, it may, have you ever seen on your phone, Google Maps saying something like, oh, hey, there's actually a faster route available. Do you want to take it? That's right. all based on real-time data. It's looking at traffic data and saying, oh, there's a bit of a traffic jam up there. I've actually found a better path to the destination than the one that I had initially plotted. Right, right, right. Okay. Um, so the MapQuest is spitting out. I mean, would you still consider MapQuest having some AI to it as well? Because it's still dynamically giving you a route. Or Yeah, you know, maybe today it might. Um, I'm not super. I think back in the day, you would kind of just type in a destination. It would find a route for you, and then that's it, right? You know, uh, it's been gotcha. optimized for kind of one thing, which is, hey, find this guy a route to whatever address he types in based on commonly used roads, based on whatever map data they're using, and that's about it. Now, today, I actually don't know if MapQuest is still around. Oh, yeah, I don't even know. Yeah. But uh, today, they probably do. I would, they would have to. I would imagine there would be no way to get around it. Right. But I guess e either, either or like the map situation is it's thinking you're just giving it parameters. Here are the roads. Here are things to think about closures, new data points like traffic or cops or whatever, if it's ways. Um, and then continue to think about, you know, the best route is, is taking new input in and, and continuing to, f it's finding its own path versus yeah, exactly. like point, you know, you had to have it programmed in advance. You know, yeah, and I think an, another route. way to think about this, the path comment you made is perfect. It's finding its own path, whereas traditional software really can't at the end of the day. And all this comes down to what AI is designed for, which is prediction. Really, at the end of the day, AI systems, AI-powered technologies, they're what we might consider prediction machines. So, okay. AI is taking historical data, making inferences from that data, and then predicting what comes next. So like in your Google Maps example, it's predicting, okay, I think I have a high degree of confidence this route is going to be faster than anything else based on the data I saw five seconds ago right. about traffic jams, construction. Right. So that really is the magic where it's continuing to predict for it's the prediction side that we should focus on it's the fact yeah. that it's looking for patterns maybe uh it's looking for patterns and it's saying calculating them out you should go this way and it's helping us dynamically change all that yeah exactly every ai system or at least true ai system on the planet is making a prediction in some way whether that's something as simple as what product you might want to buy next or what content you want to see to what map route you want to go, even self-driving cars, they're making predictions. They're just doing them extremely fast at microsecond levels in real time. They're predicting, oh, I think that's a stop sign. And you have to make sure the predictions of these machines are accurate enough to be usable. So a self-driving car is a great example. There's almost nothing that a self-driving car sees that it's going to be a hundred percent. There's no hundred percent prediction, right? Right. Like, then we'd be seeing the future essentially. <laughs> right. We'd be right. getting to like minority report. Too. Minority report. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the goal is to get the model, the prediction that the AI provides good enough that it's so, such a high degree of confidence that you're never going to have these kind of edge cases that occur where, you know, some random one in a billion chance 
occurrence happens that breaks the model. Right. Okay. It, now, do, is there a scale of how much something is AI or is it more of like an on-off switch? Because when I think about, you know, the extreme examples of like something thinking on its own or figuring stuff out on its own, um, if Google Maps was like truly AI, would it have to then be looking at all sorts of other data points it's connected to and go, oh, look, if the clouds are coming or if the weather's coming, like, in like nobody programmed it to do that, but it sort of reached out on its own? Or do you still need to give it, is that like more of a misnomer where you still need to give it a lot of the, the inputs and data? It's not just randomly deciding that like, I need, to, I need to look at what kind of cars are on this thing. So I'm going to tap into all the video cameras and, and like going beyond its bubble. That's a really good question. So to my knowledge, and you know, as a non-programmer, data scientist, or machine learning engineer, yeah. my knowledge, artificial intelligence systems today need, like they still need you to give them or tell them what data to be looking at. Right. Where some of the really weird kind of mystery can happen is that based on a data set, which can have billions of data points, your artificial intelligence may be looking at things that really weird you out or that you're like, why is it even caring about that? And it turns out there's some type of signal actually buried in the noise mm -hmm. that humans never even saw. So that's where you get these kind of crazy stories about outcomes with AI optimizing towards a goal based on certain factors that you didn't even realize, oh my God, like that actually has a huge effect on right. what performance we're trying to achieve here. The cost of milk tying in the stock market. I'm sure our financial friends have been looking at this for decades. Please, supercomputer, tell us where's the Wonka bar and yeah. what is the secret to a higher stock price? Look Fi at it for us. Finance is definitely an industry to always watch with this stuff because yeah. they were using this probably starting back in the 80s, honestly. They're always very far ahead because the money is there. The money's there, yeah. yeah Interesting. Any advantage you get in that field can be worth billions. So they're willing to invest more often than a lot of other industries. Smart. Uh, question. I've heard AI described as like there's augmented intelligence and there's artificial intelligence. Do you, is there a difference to you? Do you see it used differently? And Yeah, that's a good question. There's a lot of different terms that everyone is throwing around. Like I've yeah. heard everything from like cognitive computing to, autom to augmented intelligence uh, to artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence seems to be the most widely used term, though it is just so ill-defined. I mean, yeah. honestly, we joke, but it's true. You can ask 10 people what it means that know what they're talking about, and you could get pretty 10 pretty different answers, honestly. So sure. that's why we stick to that, like, making machines smart definition. But in yeah. terms of augmented intelligence, it's not really a term we use too often, not to say it's not valid. We more think about either true AI being the things we just talked about, these prediction machines. Then we also more and more are thinking about a category we tend to call intelligent automation, which is this gets into a big gray area of a lot of technologies that are smarter than your typical software, but we wouldn't really consider them learning on their own, let's say. Yeah. And I bet you, I bet you us marketers have, um, it's funny, AI versus IA. <laughs> and I, I guess we've kind of flipped the definition to, to meet our purposes. You know, if we have just a, 
you know, a subroutine or something in our software that is a little bit helpful for, you know, showing you A and B like, Oh yeah, it's, it's AI. It's predicting, mm-hmm. but technically it's not actually learn. It's just a jazzed up way of referring to one of your features in your software. Well, yeah, as a marketer, I can tell you which term I would rather use. I'd rather call something AI than like intelligent automation. But a big reason we actually make the distinction more and more is because our whole thing at Marketing AI Institute was started because we as marketers who were also running full-time a marketing agency were trying to understand this technology. And the further we dug into it, the more we realized there was no consistency in the terms being used. Unfortunately, a lot of vendors say things are AI that aren't actually AI. And yeah. the true danger isn't that people are misinforming you intentionally, though that can happen like in any industry. It's more that there's a lot of marketing and salespeople mm. both in the, that are evangelists and working for vendors that don't know enough about AI they just take, you know, whatever has been said at meetings or on the website where, you know, a founder or something is saying, hey, we use AI across our products. And really, at the end of the day, when you get on calls with these people and ask them about the nuts and bolts of it, it's very clear they don't really have a good understanding of what the technology is in the first place. It's kind yeah. of like, it's not really their fault. Like, we're trying to push right. for industry education broadly so that we don't run into this problem five years from now it's not really their fault they're not sitting around saying like oh how can i call this ai when it's not it's more they just genuinely don't know all the nuances of it which like any new technology you know they've got day jobs everyone's busy like that's kind of why we started what we started is to make it more accessible and approachable as a topic so that marketers especially like non-programmer marketers like myself who may be very tech savvy, but don't have right. a understand background, can actually understand what this stuff is, how to use it, and how to demystify a lot of it. Right. Okay. AI, IA. I think what's happening here too is IA, um, which we said was the uh, intelligent automation, sounds like something I could understand. Um, our, Artificial intelligence sounds like something mysterious before this podcast, almost like maybe if people are told that to your point, they just pass on the message. They're just saying, Oh yeah, this thing has AI. Don't know what it is. I haven't looked inside the, the hood. I just know that that's what someone said. Cool. Neat right. guys. Neat. And you just like, like what we do is just put it on the, on the, all the collateral and, and go to town with it. But also there's, I mean, there's probably the allure of that to the customer too. I think if I tried to sell the customer, I'm flipping back and forth here. If I tried to sell the customer intelligent automation. They would be like, yeah, tell me more about that. What makes it intelligent? You know, whereas if I'm like, this uses AI technology, the latest, greatest. And they're like, Ooh, cool. I, I won't touch it. I don't want, I don't want to get into the, the hood there. I don't want to look at the engine. I just neat guys. This has AI. We should buy it. You know? Yeah, there's, I feel like that that's exactly how it actually plays out is we see a lot of people that either go down that road where they say, oh, because it has AI, it justifies spending all this money on it yeah. without first thinking, do you actually need it? Because as 
a huge marketing AI guy myself, I'll be the first to tell you, you don't always need artificial intelligence at all. Like sometimes mm. you're not going to need it for certain things. So they either do that or they say, oh, AI, that's kind of crazy and scary. I'm not going anywhere near it. When, it, when their competitors who took time to actually figure it out are going to just absolutely eat their lunch. Right. Two points there. One, it, there's the allure of it. And, you know, what, what can you do if, you know, marketers, we're going to push and I mean, but we need to be more informed so that we're, we're being true to our word here. Um, so that we're saying it's AI if it is, and if it's not, let's use different words for it. Um, Cause then that gets kind of the gray hat area where you're like, well, you're not really. Um, but tell me more about that, that you said you don't, you don't always need it. Is that like sacrilege for you to say? Is your um, institute going to punish you and lock you in the AI room for a week? Oh boy, that would be bad. (laughs) I I certainly hope it's not sacrilege. It's like any marketing technology. You know, I would say, uh, you know, we're partners with a number of other marketing technology companies. And really at the end of the day, if a client comes to me and says, here's my use case and you can use the technology for it, I'm going to recommend the technology all day because it will make your operations more efficient and it will help increase revenue. There's going to be some use cases today that artificial intelligence, just because someone says it's AI for whatever, mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mean you should use it. In some cases, it doesn't necessarily mean you can use it. There's definitely limitations because this all runs on data. You have to actually pay very close attention. And this is a whole other can of worms and skill for marketers that they're going to have to develop is understanding what data you have, what data the tool needs to function and how to get the most out of it. And if you can even use it in the first place. So as these machines are making predictions, they're using data to do it. And if you don't have the right data or enough data or good data, it, the machine won't work. So right. the model right. will not work. It will not do what's advertised. And you probably wouldn't even get to that point. They probably just wouldn't even sell it to you. But at the end of the day, you do need to understand there are certain use cases for artificial intelligence. There's certain contexts in which you absolutely should be using it. There's others where you should be considering it but it's really going to be case by case based on the organization, the internal structure of teams and talent, yeah. what resources you have available. So it gets really messy really quick, but where it may be messy, there's also a huge amount of opportunities for the people that actually take the time to figure it out. Got it. Um, I want to get to the data in a second. What you've brought up here is, you know, there's a lot of technology especially marketing technology saying AI now. So for the marketers listening, um, do you, do you, I know you just said how complicated it is. Do you have um, like a sniff test? Like how can you tell, and maybe you throw out some use cases at us so we can kind of formulate some data points here. But if you look at some tool that I just would like present to you and say, this new reporting thing has AI or this new PPC tool is AI driven. Like, is there certain, like how could you tell yourself and then, what kind of tips would you give us to be able to figure out if this is really what it should be? And if we even need that thing to be, it might help too. Sure. So the first question I would ask of any vendor or of any tool is, are there any scenarios where the machine gets smarter on its own? That's number one. If the answer is no, it requires humans to train it all the time, every time, 
you're probably not looking at artificial intelligence. Now, again, these terms are super murky, so maybe we're talking like very low AI or maybe intelligent automation. Yeah. We get into the weeds very quickly there, but you're not really looking at AI in terms of the transformative technology that we talk about a lot. The, when we right. talk about this being transformative and having a potentially unprecedented impact on your operations, we're talking about systems that learn on their own. Right. And you probably won't get that in writing because you know how sales is. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, this learns on its own, my friend. Yeah. While they're hiring a machine learning engineer, like furiously, while they're right, <laughs> to build that feature. right. Yeah. And there's like um, two available. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the first question I would okay. ask. And you got to be careful. And we can also get into a lot of tips around kind of vetting and buying the technology. But you do have to be a little careful to understand further if the answer is yes to that question to figure out which pieces of the technology are actually getting smarter because i think you you had mentioned and it's a great point there could be like one feature that uses artificial intelligence and that's cool but that might also be used as a way to say hey our entire tool is using artificial that's intelligence that's a good point so you have to like any big technology research project or implementation you got to bring that same kind of i hate to say cynicism but like prag pragmatism to vetting anything related to ai which is why i started off trying to smash that myth that it's magic you just got to look at it as technology and we can get into the details of what questions to ask about it but just understand you're being sold a product you need to kick the tires you need to kick the tires okay got it um, yeah. How, how do you, you mentioned the vetting. I mean, that's sort of tied into this. How do you, how do you vet it further? Yeah. So I think understanding that first point of, is it getting smarter on its own? Yep. And then I think you really need to go in before you vet it. A lot of your work is done before you even find tools. And there, I would say you really need to do some of the hard work to understand what use cases you really need it for. So we write pretty extensively about all this and run some workshops on it. But basically you wanna be looking at what tasks are you doing every day that either on a daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly basis that are taking up a large amount of time and resources. And then you need to go through and understand based on your own education around what AI is, what it can do, what it can't do, what is the likelihood we can actually intelligently automate this or use AI for it. And then after doing some of this hard work to understand, okay, what am I actually trying to achieve here? You ideally would have maybe a short list of some use cases where you could say, okay, I think these like three things would be huge wins if I could do them in some fashion with yeah. AI. So let's say I say, like, I'll take Marketing AI Institute as an example, because okay. we're, we go through this process as we deploy AI technology in our operations. And I really? that. Yes. So we produce a huge amount of content. Content marketing broadly is like our number one use case for AI today. Our content engine drives all the rest of our success, publishing articles regularly, newsletters, promoting those a million things related to getting more traffic and leads on the site. So within that, for me personally, a huge amount of the early 
work of Marketing AI Institute is writing blog posts. I'm a writer by trade, which we can get into. I used to be a journalist. So a lot of the early days was me just writing articles. Today, I don't have a lot of time to write articles all over the place. And we produce probably three to five articles a week. Um, So that's immediately like a pretty tangible use case where I'm like, okay, like using AI to somehow augment writing blog posts would be a huge win. So we actually went ahead and started a pilot of uh, an AI powered tool to help us do some of the research, the SEO work, and the optimization around posts because we were barely doing anything really with that. It was more just producing great content following kind of like a topic cluster strategy, which worked really well, but it was relatively unscientific, I'll be the first to admit. So we actually said, okay, to start actually optimizing all the content we already have would be a massive win and would help us get more out of what we've already spent time doing anyway. And having some technology, if it's available, to actually help us create new content faster would be kind of the holy grail. And we actually found in a tool called Market Muse, who's a partner of ours, uh, a tool that does both those things. So we're in the early days of rolling that out wow. across our across the institute. And we may as well use it for uh, the agency side as well. Huh. So this Market Muse is using AI to optimize content and then create more? Yeah. So... Is, is essentially an AI-powered content strategy platform, but it does a bunch of different things. So on one hand, it will actually analyze our whole website and identify opportunities to rank for specific terms that we may be interested in ranking for with the content we've already got. And keep in mind, we've got, we probably have 600 articles at this point Jeez. on the Institute website. So it's just this beast. And we're a relatively small team. Like mm-hmm. it's, maybe 15 people total across both organizations. And it is not 15 people working directly on the Institute. So we're the perfect case study of small organization, not a huge amount of resources, not a lot of time. How can we actually be using this stuff when we're kind of trying to juggle 18 different things at the same time. So Market Muse will actually help us using machine learning, identify opportunities to optimize what we've already got. And then we're actually starting to deploy a bit more. They also produce what are called content briefs, which are essentially AI powered uh, research briefs that will say, okay, you want to rank content for this phrase? Here's an in-depth brief of all the topics you need to cover to have the most comprehensive article possible. And here's a bunch of search info on the top 20 articles ranking for it already. Here's the gaps that they fail to cover that are opportunities. And here is a laundry list of all the things you need to do when you write this article to make it really shine. And it will, you can actually type in the tool if you want, and it will sort of rate everything as you go. So it's pretty robust and pretty impressive. Yeah, I'm pretty sure everyone's like typing in market news like I just did right now. I think what's really cool is talking to you, you know what AI is and isn't, and you've given us some tips, but just to hear you say that you're using this particular tool makes me immediately go, okay, they say AI, but 
you know, if Mike believes it, I believe it. Right. So uh, I'm with you on that. And yeah, check those guys out for sure. You mentioned you have partners. Do you have like a whole list of like AI tools that you actually know are actually AI to some degree and then you work with them and you kind of like promote cross promote each other? Yeah. So on the footer of kind of every marketing AI Institute, website page we've got a list of our current partners so much of our early growth was fueled by this partner program where really marketing ai institute is both a media company and an event company at the end of the day and also online education now which we can talk about a bit really at the end of the day our job is to connect the dots between what this technology is actually capable of doing and translate that to marketers who don't have the time or ability to like fully understand this themselves so to do that we do have to eat our own cooking we've got you know we have this awesome advantage where you could very well call us like evangelists or whatever for marketing ai but we're not just sitting here writing in a vacuum the sister company of marketing ai institute is pr 2020 which is a digital agency run out of cleveland ohio by paul Ratzer. That's where I started working before we started Mm -hmm. all this. And I still work at PR 2020. So we're actually deploying what we learn out in the market. We have dozens of clients that we're helping with everything from copywriting to content marketing to marketing automation, advertising, whatever. Mm -hmm. So we're actually like day in, day out in the trenches, marketers working to produce results for clients. And then with all the AI stuff, we're actually able to have really good knowledge share between the two companies. So unlike some other people who might be writing about it because they've read some interesting books, we've read those books, but we've also done this stuff. Yeah. Nice, man. I, I love that you're drinking your own Kool-Aid, you know, you're actually using it. And I'm sure that makes your, your thought leadership that much stronger because you're not just talking about it. You're talking about it. You're doing it. You're implementing it with yourself, with clients all across the board. You got an academy as well for training. So people are like not, if you're not satiated, if you're not satisfied, you just skim the surface here on the podcast. It's like, cool, go get some training. Yeah. the uh, We last year launched a conference for the first year called Marketing AI Conference or Maycon. And we got 300 marketers to come to Cleveland and learn more about how to actually pilot AI. And the whole goal of year one was come away with a pilot project. So everything was designed to be very actionable, take you from knowing nothing to actually going back to your organization and saying, okay, here's what I think we should actually be pursuing here. Now, obviously COVID happened. I know, right? Right. We had to cancel the event this year. And so it's been pretty wild first half of 2020 because what we ended up doing we were going to announce at Maycon 2020 uh, AI Academy for Marketers which is an online education hub that's a paid membership for marketers who want to actually learn how to use this stuff we accelerated the launch of that it's live now 25 or so courses certifications we have both our team doing workshops and courses, but also a ton of marketers, entrepreneurs, and authors who are in our network who have all contributed course content at marketingacademy.ai. 
Right. I see that. Look, it looks like it's got an annual membership. Yep. Limited on-demand access. That's cool, man. That, and that's the, I know you've been sort of head down, just working to polish that and, and make sure that was ready to go. I'm sure that was a crazy process to, to go live and click on for that. Um, but congrats on getting that launched, man. Well, thank you. We learned a huge amount about launching an online education business very quickly. So I if bet. You have questions, we can probably answer them. Any takeaways from that? Any don't do this, do this recommendation? Uh, the takeaways so far that I have, and it's still early days, would be the technology platform you use for hosting your course content is super important, and you mm. should spend a lot of time up front figuring it out. And also, no matter what, at the end of the day, you really, really need to pay attention to user experience. This was actually a pretty big blind spot for me. I was more of the opinion of like, okay, let's get the right tech. Let's produce amazing content. And it's kind of like a build it and they will come sort of thing. Right. Once you turn it on, there are a million different UX things that you wouldn't even have thought of until you turn this thing on and people start using it and breaking stuff. <laughs> you, and I don't know an easy way around it. It's just one of those things you learn through doing, but definitely, even if you think it's a little premature, like I did to be thinking through really minor UX details, it's probably a good move if you're going to launch something. Granted, you're probably not going to be under the gun like we were either though. Right. And, 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 People are somewhat forgiving, but not not so much, right? I mean, we're used right. to the Netflixes and the Amazons just working. So we get a little spoiled and we get, you know, some app that like goes off in the wrong direction. We're like, what is this? This is crap. What's going on? You know? Yeah, like, we we're lucky to have a yeah. very amazing and tolerant audience. And you know, we have not had any major issues, but yeah, the standards are extremely high. And I think yeah. there's a lot, I think that's another area where we're seeing a ton of valid hype around like everyone's doing an online course. I think it is the future of education. But there's all these people, I see Facebook ads all the time for people are like, oh hey, I'll teach you in like five easy steps how to do an online course and it's like yeah but like guys you gotta realize like this is a pro game now so it's really important if you're gonna do it anyone can do it still 100 percent. like individuals could do it but you gotta be ready to really bring the a game I think. yeah yeah that's a good point right oh i i learned how to do this for with a four dollar udemy class it's like cool bro right. but right. uh you know <laughs> For, for maybe three people, that'll be great. But if you've got hundreds coming in, they're going to be breaking stuff left and right. You got to have your shit squared away for yeah. sure. Yeah, especially if you're a brand of any type. I mean, if, you, if you're an individual, I guess you can do whatever. But right. if you're a brand, like you have to be, you need to sit down and get yeah. a for this because it's way crazier than you might think. It's not just about like filming videos. Right, it reflects on you, you know, if it, it looks it looks messy or sloppy or there's a random 404 like what you didn't test this thing out come on you know like what the heck it's on yeah. you um yeah people can be brutal but you know they've got these high, higher standards now so we've got to uh gotta have some polish so that's great that uh, unfortunately you learned those lessons but at least you you got ahead of it and you're really thinking about it now and not just waiting for you know a bunch of people to break and then they start churning and that kind of thing Exactly. We got our ducks in a row very fast. And I think we produced a really incredible and professional experience that just runs extremely smoothly. So we, yeah. we got, it's testament to a lot of people on our team that just really went above and beyond.
Yeah, you're gonna have to keep me loop on that. Let me know how it develops and goes and grows. And I'm sure a lot of people will check it out now. Um, now we've been chatting about this. Uh, man, this is this is good stuff. Who are you? Like, who are you, Mike? Like, how do you know all these things? Can you take us back in time to like little you? Like, what was it like growing up? How did you get all these experiences? Did you always know you're gonna be in marketing and AI and What's up? Oh my God. No, not at all. I <clears throat> probably, it's probably like on reflection, not very unconventional, but I did not have what I would consider like a typical marketing path. I mean, yeah. from an early age, as long as I can remember. So, A, I'm like the world's biggest nerd and like, I don't care. Like, I'm so really? proud of it. Like, I mean, I, you should be proud. That's I'm going to just run the world, you. honestly, right? <laughs> right, right. So, like, even from the earliest age, I've always loved like telling stories, like writing stories, drew a bunch of like comics as a kid, obsessed with just like science fiction, fantasy books, movies, yeah. things like that, just everything you think of, like Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, anything like that. So I've, I've even in adulthood, I'm just like such a nerd about it and love it. And so like as a kid, I always, I was certainly like more like bookish and quiet, but like the ability to kind of tell these cool stories and produce this stuff really like in a weird way just made me a bunch of friends in like grade school two of them are like my best friends today we talk every day like since first grade but like it ended up being this thing where I was like oh, I really love like telling people stories and so yeah. as I got into like high school you know worked a little bit at like the high school newspaper um and then in college you know, I started off in college. I went to Denison University in Central Ohio and kind of real close to OSU. And I started off as an English major because I was like, oh, okay, like I don't really, you know, I'm 18. I have no idea what I really want totally. to do. Totally. Yeah. Real world experience. But I was like, okay, I love writing. I, maybe I want to be an author or something. I thought being an English major is maybe a way to do that. And then about midway through college, I was like, ah, this is okay, but like, I don't feel like I'm learning as much practical stuff. And not right. to all besmirch English majors. I just, for whatever reason, I was like, oh, okay, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm gonna like be a novelist or something. So I ended up switching that to a minor. And for whatever reason, I still can't put my finger on the exact reason. I decided like, after some research, I was like, you know, I'm really, really interested in kind of world affairs and business and technology and stuff. So I ended up switching to political science. And huh. okay. this kind of kicked off this whole other direction where the great news was I was still reading and writing all the time. There's yep. a huge component of that in political science. But I got to like learn more about actual trends rather than kind of interpreting literature on my end yeah. so i was like geeking out much more about it and trying to follow what was going on in the world really just at the end of the day my whole thing was like trying to make sense of the world around me and that kind of led to this serendipitous event which is when i started off i had to take a language credit at denison okay. and i had taken four years of french in high school and i was traumatized by it <laughs> i was really right? good at it but unfortunately i had some differences with the teacher okay and i was like oh, i don't want to do french again there's too many bad memories of this 
So I was like, okay, I got to take like a semester of this. So you just, you dumped the whole language because of that teacher. I I did, unfortunately, which honestly, looking back, I'm probably just being like uncharitable or right. right? Well, no, you had that. It's like, it's like you can't drink tequila after having an issue with tequila, you know, it's the same kind of, but eventually it wears off and maybe, you know, when you're 80, you'll like, let's pick up French again. Someday I'll pick French back up. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I got a semester of a language credit to do. All I have to do is pass. Like, screw it. Let's do something wild. Like, and the two wild options, like the most different I could find from French were either Chinese or Arabic. And I was like, okay, Chinese looks like the hardest thing I've ever seen. Really hard. I was like, okay, Arabic and all that easier. (laughs) so i went i pulled the trigger and did arabic and it's also tough yes very tough but for whatever reason i really took a shine to it and just loved it i wasn't ever that good at it i don't think but loved the teacher became very close with her um and ended up taking like four semesters of arabic Wow. And the reason I mention all this is because I always knew the only thing I ever knew about like direction in college or in like early life was I knew I wanted to travel abroad if yeah. I could. So when it came time to do that and I was blessed enough to be able to do that, uh, you know, you kind of pick what place you want to go based on, at least at the time, like there was only a select group of places you could go. Through, it's like, like a semester abroad kind of thing where you can just go. Okay, with the school. You would study at another university and it's all based on like ties to your university. So there was like a limited number of options. And I was like, well, I may as well go somewhere I can actually use this language stuff. So the two choices I had were Cairo, Egypt or Amman, Jordan. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to pick Cairo because like knowing nothing about it, I was like, yeah, pyramids. Sounds great. Yeah, yeah. Museums, pyramids. I mean, wow. So, and I, you know, I loved like Indiana Jones movies and stuff of like course. that. Of course. Dumbest reason ever to make Completely like, accurate, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up studying abroad in Cairo for a semester. And the reason I mentioned that is because after I graduated, I actually moved back uh, to Cairo to continue wow. studying Arabic because I was thinking at that point, maybe I would do something with like the state department or in government, something like that. Yeah. And I ended up staying in Cairo for about two years until uh unfortunately the egyptian revolution happened while i was there no kidding dude down the street from me which was interesting so i made it through i would at that point i was living and working there so i actually picked up a job as like a journalist at a couple english language magazines nothing crazy it was like war reporting it was like business finance general interest met a cool group of people really enjoyed editing and writing um realized okay like there are different ways to use this skill like that i I don't have to like not write anymore that's my thing i love writing in any context so that was really awesome i was like okay like i could do this job as a journalist or writer whatever i was kind of making my way there and then the revolution happens after a huge amount of like tear gas people getting shot with rubber bullets tanks outside jets flying over i was like ah, i gotta call it i gotta go home wait, wait, I made it okay through. at what point do you decide that enough is enough because you're like in uh, a foreign country. I, you know the sad thing is at that age and at that time i wouldn't have left if my parents were not losing their minds oh I really it, how old I, they were like on day one so the way it went down is i basically 
lived very close to the epicenter of where everything went down and you know like the central square in cairo is being occupied for weeks at a time essentially by protesters and at one point it just like there was no internet at, at all they shut down internet across the city so that like protesters right. couldn't coordinate and stuff and the only place to get internet was this like five-star hotel so me and my friends just moved into it for a few days <laughs> to get because we like had to call home we had to figure out like yeah. what doing and so this hotel is like tanks outside jets buzzing over because like the one last place a bunch of foreigners are in cairo the whole place runs on tourism so they're like all right we'll put the tanks outside there i guess i don't know <laughs> so i wonder if that doesn't even like draw people in thinking that they need i know to- right it was yeah. pretty like locked down so that was like probably 10 days into the revolution because i was like wanting to stay and see what happened and experience it more even though it was kind of scary but then you know once i got in touch with my parents they were like really really worried rightly so like yeah you're just like a college grad you're like guys this is this is exciting you right this is not exciting you're not in the u.s you are in a foreign land (laughs) but yeah could you feel it did you i mean you're you're speaking the language you have do you have the pulse or could you could you sense something was coming or or no you know what was crazy is my the the wildest time was so the only thing we had heard was that there were going to be like some protests and so this was the friday that everything kicked off like that the whole thing just went from zero to a hundred in a day and me and a buddy of mine there was no indication on our end any of this was going to happen so we actually said okay we actually just heard there were going to be some protests. We we're like, Oh, let's go like take some pictures, see what's about. Like, right. Thing, you know, did you get pictures? So, yes. So, uh, well, we got more than we bargained for. You're quite the journalist. What, what would you get? What, what more did we you get? Ended up saying, okay, well, cause we also didn't speak Arabic well enough to be like reading all the newspapers or like chatting with people who would know what was going on. So we were like, okay, where do we think there would be a protest if there was one? And we're like, oh, okay. Like in old Cairo where the big mosque is, there's a big religious center. We are like, that's where they always happen. Cause it's everyone just comes out of mosque. Like if for Friday prayers, there's thousands and thousands of people. We're like, okay, if if there's going to be anything going on, it'll be there. Little do we know three hours later we're in the epicenter of the craziest part of the kickoff of the revolution we didn't get home for like 12 hours because the whole city like went up in flames oh you like took public transportation to get there but then you're just like yeah we took a cab out there and then after that all we were like in the middle of battles of police and protesters like running trying to get away from like running away from like tear gas and so we were like in every shop you've ever seen just trying to like get out of there and nobody's so, gonna know different like if you're just in a mix of that mob they're not gonna know if you're oh i'm an american you know like journalist no one's gonna know that you're gonna get shot right so suits. we were like we were like five miles away from our apartment cut right. off from everything so we just like made this big loop of the city and just saw the whole revolution start in all these places it was like a walking tour of the egyptian revolution until we finally Jeez. got back to our neighborhood wow so that was you finally one. got back to your hotel 
<laughs> past the, the tank's still there. You finally got back. Well, yeah, that was even before the hotel. It was still when we were dumb enough to be in our apartment. We were just hanging <laughs> out. We started moving into the hotel when there apparently like there was this whole thing where the police, uh, which who are all like kind of corrupt and everything anyway, so it's not like a necessarily great thing that they were hanging around. But they eventually like fled the city. Like the protesters like wow. fought them off. So there was like all this looting and stuff. And there were like young dudes walking down our street with like clubs trying to protect our neighborhood. And I was like, let's go into the hotel. Let's go. Yeah, dude. The army is. And let's see what we can figure out from here. Cause also like, if you're not, you know, if you're not as fluent as in Arabic as you should be, like, you're not able to get much information. At least at that time we weren't, we, we were, it was just on the cusp of like, man, it's probably like the first kind of widespread smartphone revolution but like we weren't operating with a huge amount of tech at the time as poor right. college students so what what year was that uh so that would have been 2011 okay so we got some stuff but it's not like especially over there yeah. it's not that especially yeah. like the weirdest part was like getting it every like your tech from america to work with like their cell networks and stuff too yeah so we didn't have to my record we did not have smartphones at the time so we were like okay we gotta get somewhere with like wi-fi or wired internet so that we can like use our computers and like figure out what is going on wow what'd you do with the photos did you like publish them anywhere or do anything with them i you know i've still got them on a hard drive we've got a couple hanging up around the house i gave gave a couple photos to people as gifts so wow yeah that's some treasure man you should keep i know uh, or you know do my, my parents do this too sometimes with like a we'll put them in one of those little bound books just to kind of flip through Yes. My last, my last two weeks in Cairo, right? <laughs> all these pictures of revolution, but just something, it makes sense to keep those, keep those alive because that's, that's a, it was a powerful moment for that country for sure. Um, yeah, definitely. what a crazy thing to turn off internet, you know, could you imagine? I, know. I didn't even know you could do that until they did. Yeah. And I know they can, I don't know if, you know, Comcast would be like, screw you. All right. <laughs> got subscribers, you know, like, <laughs> but yeah. So that from there, you know, I, when I got back to the States, I was doing a bunch of freelance writing still. Yeah. My, as I kind of came home suddenly. So I was like, Oh, good. Well, thing real I'm quick. How, how was that hotel to airport, getting a flight, getting home? Yeah, was so that I ended up picking a state department flight out of the country. Really? Turkey, and then booked some flights home from there. Yeah. Okay. So like, like embassy type. did you go to the embassy from the hotel uh, yeah so they basically broadcast once we got like internet and staff phone service we were, they were doing like non-essential flights essentially so it wasn't like total craziness where they're like you have to evacuate but they're like if you want to and you have your passport come to the airport and you can do that at like these days and time so we're like all right we let's do that wow. so we went ahead and did that just got on a plane they took us to Turkey. We then from there, we like booked our flights home. I was going to say, imagine that it's kind of like a partial evacuation. It's not like a, everybody yeah. went for the Hills, but I yeah. guess it's because like it wasn't their fault, you know? So it was like, well, Hey, at least they're not mad at us today. You know, the U S embassy, <laughs> maybe they were, but yeah. like, Hey, they're mad at somebody else today. So if you want to leave and get out of here, great. But otherwise I think we're okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. We're not the issue today. Um, wow, man, what a wild experience. So it, and at that point, you're not like completely gone over to, I need to be a journalist. You, you started to discover there's other ways to do your writing and. Yeah. So I think, 
just kind of, I was still kind of freelancing, doing yeah. some like ghost writing and things for people. So I was essentially what you call just a freelance writer, doing everything from magazine journalism to some sure. like business copywriting. And yeah, I started to discover there were all these different ways to use writing. Uh, that wasn't just being a journalist, just being a writer. You yeah. know, at the time too, I, I, I was mostly a business and technology journalist. So I was following a lot of things around the business model around journalism. I certainly was seeing my bank account and realized like the business <laughs> model of journalism is not kind to people no, like me. No, it's not. So I was like, maybe if there are other ways to still write, I was like, even looking at my freelancing, I was like, there's a big difference in how people pay versus journalism versus business like copywriting. So yeah. I was like, okay, maybe I should consider some other paths. I was more at the beginning of that exploration when a very good friend of mine uh, had been approached by Paul Ratzer, our CEO, to work at PR 2020. And she was actually doing something else at the cool. time. She works for us now though. Um, and she, Paul was looking for someone who was excellent at writing and could do a lot of content. So friend referred me, talked to Paul, ended up coming on as really it was supposed to be more of a defined content marketing role doing a ton of writing. So I was like, oh, this is great. And then from there, uh, this is probably about eight years ago, just kind uh -huh. of learned the whole business from the ground up. Yeah. I realized that in addition to writing, I loved the marketing technology side of things, marketing strategy, and these skills all blended together extremely well. So, yep. you know, the last eight years for me have been a pretty crazy uh, real world education, almost like a PhD in everything digital marketing. And it's been sure. kind of valuable too, because I kind of came to it with no preconceptions of what it should be or what I thought marketing was. And so I've kind of learned a lot of good truths about what I think should work for clients, brands, um, media outlets, things like that. Right. And so to bring it all to present day, <laughs> um, <laughs> in, right? the course of, in the course of all that, you know, I was still just like, in addition to the job, just like geeking out all the time about kind of business and technology trends. Yeah. And I had been reading a lot about AI and I finally, after like six months of just keep kept hearing about it, kept reading about it, I was like, this seems like it's going to be a thing. Like the right. journalism radar was going off. I was like, I think this is more than just a buzzword. And so I went, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I was like, uh, maybe I should talk to Paul about this and like see if we should be thinking about it. And this was back in like 2015. I walked into his office. Was, I swear I'm not making this story up because it's so crazy yeah. or just so weird. I was like, do you like, have you heard of artificial intelligence? Like, do you, if, if so, like, do you think we should be looking into it? And he looked up and was like, this is really weird. I literally just spent all of yesterday thinking about how we need to be using this for the agency because of like A, B, and C things I read. I was like, wow, this is uncanny, but okay. It's so, a singularity, my friend. It's happening. <laughs> And so over the next several months, we decided to kind of do an internal research project on AI, which wow. like, me and him kind of collaborated on. And eventually we just started deciding to share what we are learning. And that's how Marketing AI Institute as just a blog was born at the end of 2016. Wow. We were just literally sharing articles that we we're researching and writing on nights and weekends, 
learning more about technology. And we kind of ended up realizing there was this massive potential audience that kept reaching out to us, like really high caliber people that were like, hey, like this is really interesting what you're publishing. Could we talk mm -hmm. on the phone about what we're trying to do? And so organically over time, we built this pretty large audience of marketers right. who were trying to understand this too, and also an audience of a lot of people who were further ahead of us, but realized that we were onto something in how we were kind of approaching this from like a plain English perspective, and like mm -hmm. really trying to just understand, okay, you know, everyone at the time was publishing about like these in-depth technical definitions of like different types of AI, which was valuable, but we were really looking at like, how do we actually use it? Right. And so from there, we steadily ended up committing more resources and staff to it and building a large audience of subscribers and, and traffic uh, to the website. And then here we are today with yes. our conference that's on hold and an online right. education business and a dozen different corporate partners. And it's kind of just spiraled out of control. Man. And, 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 and as the COVID thing settles down, I'm sure that those conferences will come back with a, a vengeance because people are needing, we keep hearing the term over and over again to this point. So it's needed now more than ever, you know? Yeah, we hope so. Crazy, crazy. Well, I got a hypothetical for you. If you can, okay. I, have, I may have a time machine here in New Hampshire and, you know, post COVID, perhaps I'll let you use it. And if so, and you go back in time to a specific point where it's right after you graduated, maybe you're actually in Egypt right now. Um, and you get to see yourself, you know, you have less of a tan or more of a tan or either way, but you're like, you're like, you know, Shaku Maku, hello. Of course, that'd be, that'd be um, Iraqi, but you know, you're like, <laughs> you're like, hi, like, wassalam, how's it going? And, um, and you, you could give yourself advice, right? Give your, give that younger you advice from what you know now, all the things you've been through, you know, professionally, personally, anything, what kind of things would you tell yourself? That's a really good question. Uh, yeah. You know, in a weird way, it's like the weirdest piece of advice given what I just told you about my story. I would tell my younger self to publish more of his work. And yeah, by that, I mean having your own dedicated place online where you are sharing in real time what you're learning, your evolution of thinking, uh, whether it's on one specific topic you want to be known for or just whatever comes to mind. You know, I've done this over the last decade intermittently, but I've mostly done it for other brands and people only with really now with marketing AI Institute is a lot of this stuff under my own name. Right. And it's awesome. I'm glad we're able to do it. Uh, so I would encourage, you know, younger Mike, like you would be shocked at just the incredible value, even if it's nothing like world changing that you're sharing of just being able to go back and look at kind of mm -hmm. the evolution of your own development and thinking, but also depending on what topics you're researching and writing about writing and actually writing for publication, even if it's your own publication is the best way to clarify your thinking. Uh, and this is a point a lot of people I think kind of miss is they're like, Oh, you're a good writer. Like you're good with words. Like, no, like, honestly, I'm sometimes kind of shitty at writing. <laughs> like, I really am. Like, yeah. it's not that good sometimes in terms huh. of like, like I get in trouble all the time. It's like, I'm pretty precise in my grammar, but I couldn't even tell you like 
updated grammar rules. Everything, I don't know. yeah. I, I don't know. I, I'm horrible with it. Okay. So like my commas are all over the place. I have no idea what I'm doing sometimes with it. <laughs> but the idea is that like writing consistently for a decade plus now has really just made my thinking, I think sometimes razor sharp. It forces you to clarify what you're thinking. And that's where good writing comes from. So I think the way to do that, it's a muscle. So forget even for a second how you're writing sounds. You can work on that later. Focus on what you're trying to express and like do it publicly. I would tell younger Mike to do that from day one. Smart. That's smart. Um, two things stood out to me there. The I, It's almost like journaling, right? Whether mm. you do it publicly or privately, but putting those thoughts down. I mean, I've got a red book over here where I just um, – the mornings where I do that, uh, it's amazing. It, no one has to read it. It doesn't have to be for someone. Um, sometimes I'll write it as if I think someone's going to read it, but it's really for myself to be able to say, how did that go? And you're like, well, that went, but putting it down on paper seems so much more than thinking, right? Thinking about it's great. You do need to think about when you think and then it gets written down. It's almost like more parts of the brain are involved and either gets more off your chest or you come to realizations. You know, I, the aha moments, I'm sure you've had these too, where you're writing and you're like, oh yeah, that's what I think, you know? Or, right. Oh, that's the idea. That's what I need to do. But maybe you couldn't get to it just from saying, brain, what should I do here? You know, you're like, let me write for four pages and then see what happens. Um, and, but I think there's something to be said for the fact that you're even dissing your own writing ability, because I think that's, it's kind of important. I think we can get like writer's block saying like, oh, this has to be perfect. And if it's perfect, I've done that too, where I'm like writing something and I can make it really good. But if, if, if it's not really good, then I'm like, oh, I need to refine it. And then I'll just stop doing it because it just takes too much time. So just being like, all right, it's complete crap. Just let's put it out there and see what happens. Yep. Can be amazing. Yeah, I've, I've really had to train myself out of some bad habits over the years yeah. because I think that's probably the number one reason I didn't take the advice I just gave when I was younger <laughs> is because I was so perfectionist about everything. Oh, I wanted yeah. everything to sound and look great. And, you know, I got pretty lucky that the things I wrote, I generally knew that had done my homework on the source material. So there is clear yeah. thinking there. That's so focused on like, it being good and perfect and sounding good, they didn't mm -hmm. write enough. I should have honestly just put it all out there right. or I should have gotten a process down, which I do now today, to just break this stuff. I think the biggest thing you can do is break this stuff up into silos. So I do a research silo before I even touch writing something. Like I need to just understand some ideas and just write down crappy notes yeah for anything even if i think i know the topic because otherwise i'm going to be trying to research it while i'm writing it and then i'm going to be distracted then i break up just a writing phase where i say okay write without stopping mm. i sometimes just rely on like the autocorrect of google docs and it's just a mess it's like seems like a different language because it's the only way i've found because really when you're writing most people when they write they're writing and editing at the same time and that's where you get that perfectionism and like rewriting everything. You can certainly make progress that way. I used to do it all the time, but now just writing that draft and it doesn't even have to be in English. It doesn't have punctuation sometimes even. It's just like, okay, I got to get all this stuff out after reading. Then the magic happens when you edit, right? Yes. So it's, it's been super helpful to me. I'm sure there's a hundred ways you could attack the problem. 
Yeah, but for someone like you who's so experienced with it, it's great to hear, you know, your your tips on that and your advice on that uh, for those that are out there that are that are writers. I think for me, I found it was talking and the podcasting and yeah. same kind of thing though. I found I went back and listened to episode number two um, or three actually, where I inter- interviewed Del Ravello, who's actually really famous. A, buyer personas. I don't even know how I got a chance to talk to her in my third episode. I didn't have, I didn't have much of a, of a setup. Like this is, this is way more polished, right? And I didn't even know what I was doing, but I was just doing it. But to your point, whether it's the writing or the speaking or something, it was just put it out there. And it was funny is on that episode, I actually learned what real buyer personas were instead of buyer profiles and she just like she basically schooled me on the thing and you can actually see my brain smoking and then me actually converting um on on the show on you know and so it was kind of like the ai today just like brain smoking but this is cool and you can kind of see that i can look back and see my own transformations of what i did and didn't know about marketing at the time you know just from putting it out there that's awesome sweet man good stuff good stuff so What's, what's the future look like, man? We, you got, uh, you're getting healthy. You're eating well. You're, you're <laughs> still keeping to. the tacos though. Yeah. You can't know, those uh, quarantine has made me reevaluate some of my uh, <laughs> habits. I have nothing better to do than walk a lot and eat right. healthy, I guess. So yeah, you know, I spent, I like to say, I spent from graduating college until probably like a year ago, I got a lot of fun in in life so i am now paying for a lot of it and (laughs) trying to cash some checks i can't cash so i am uh yeah i'm trying to be a little more boring and disciplined and sure get fit what are you doing any kind of cool habits you're taking on or uh yeah at the moment i've kind of experimented a bit with like intermittent fasting which yeah me too what are you you doing what what kind of time i just do like like an eight hour window of eating stuff so it'd be like a 16 hour fast i guess yeah so like no breakfast right so you'd be doing lunch and dinner and then exactly yeah i'm doing the same thing cheers very cool i love it it's a couple hours ahead of you so i get to eat lunch in like about 45 minutes so oh perfect (laughs) (laughs) the uh uh, yeah, it's one of those things. It's kind of crazy. People think you're insane if they have no context around it. But it happens, yeah. the moment you read about it, you're like, oh, this makes perfect sense. Like, I love it. Well, it doesn't help that, you know, there's information out there saying, and even some programs I've tried and been on where they're having me eat breakfast, breakfast snack, like a hobbit, right? Like hobbit, <laughs> hobbit diet, breakfast, second breakfast, lunch, lunchies too, midday snack. And like, they want you to keep the thing going like that will speed on your metabolism, you know, and maybe they're right, but maybe these other people are right too. I think it's kind of also just finding out like what, what works for your body. And then um, for me, I found that just like, it just reduces the, um, the sheer amount of things you're eating, you know, unless you're going to go and hit, you know, 12 miles every day, then you may not need all that. You may, you know, it's like, go get your healthy breakfast says general mills, but like, does anyone else say that, you know? Yeah, right. Probably reading reading some of the marketing and advertising techniques in the food industry is probably a good way to get on a diet real quick too. Yeah, yeah. Except you can't hop on Netflix and watch any food show whatsoever, right? Because you're just gonna be. We have to like stop. There's some there's some good ones on Netflix, but we're like, nope, not watching it. Can't do it. We're gonna be snacking later on if we do that. So. Right. Yeah. Do it within your eating window. Yes, exactly. Aloha, stick to game shows. Um, 
Had anything else? I'm, I've started a, um, a little push-up challenge. You know, I've heard those are getting kind of popular lately, and I'm just doing – I'm trying to get 1,000 done in July, which oh, been interesting. Yeah. But when you do the math, it's only like 40 a day, which you, you can figure out and do. And okay. you know There is an app for that. There's several apps. And so I downloaded like six of them, and then I picked one. The one I stuck with is Push Up Hero because okay. who doesn't want to be a hero? Push Up Hero, it's free. And I just pull open this thing, and every time you do a set, you just go to the amount and hit save. And it saves them. Like, I didn't even see this picture. But oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, so I wrote it down. down. I want to try that out. 10, 11, and it tells me this week, 171, which is not very many. Um, and then this month, 777, and this year, 777. But, you know, it's cool. It'll keep going. And I hear if you do something for like 54 days or so, you know, it'll be a habit. So this might cool. end up being just like a push-up habit. At the very beginning, it was not, not so pleasant. But you know what? When you – like the beginning, I'm like, oh, you know, five. I can – and then 10, I'm like, oh, dying. Now I can like – bang out 20 and you're like whoa feeling like the hulk you know like you need kind of see the improvement over time happening totally and you know as someone who like kind of before all the covid stuff was like intermittently in the gym doing like weightlifting and things but you don't realize i think until you're forced to like just how much stuff you can do at home even from like a body weight exercise is true right yeah i've just tried out you know i've tried out a bunch of different things and just read online i'm like oh this is like pretty intense workout okay can do absolutely man i've got a coach named lauren who when in doubt she'll just shoot a shoot a gun at me and say burpees and then it's just like <laughs> and same thing you're like you do five you're like man i'm i am fit i got this you get closer <laughs> right. to 10 and you're like when is this over burpees um, I don't know anyone that like can withstand them and be even, even like the super crossfitters you are like hundred in after hundred, they're like done, you know, they're it just like that full body, especially the heavier you are. It's like you pay for your crimes. Like you said earlier, the crimes of those double stuffed Oreos. Now you're oh, paying yeah. with every single burpee. Yeah. Who'd have, who'd have thought that, uh, being a former smoker going out and drinking with buddies all the time and eating like crap would, would have bad effects, you know? Totally, man. Really? So you quit smoking? When did you do that? Uh, probably about five years ago. Been no kidding. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, mad respect because I think everyone kind of gets like how legit those things are in terms of like addictive and all that. Yeah, it was weird. I, I started, it wasn't terrible from what I remember, like freshman year of college, you know, you're out with people and I like started. Cause oh yeah, drinking, the drinking, smoking connection is huge. Yeah. yeah, my friends are doing like, that. It was pretty severe in college, but like, oh boy, Egypt killed me, man. I'm and sure. It's like I was, you could smoke at the barber shop while you're getting like yeah. shave. Like you can literally smoke in every place all the time. No questions asked. Yeah. And That's what I noticed about Paris too. Two packs a day. It's Paris crazy. as well was just like, yeah. hey, what's <laughs> up? It's just everywhere. And it's like, it's like part of the culture. And it was like, it was it. Um, yep. Yeah. I can see Egypt. Like when, when life is tough, like I don't blame you, you know, like, so um, even in Iraq and stuff like that, it's like in fellow Marines and smoking, like go for it, man. Like life is tough, but you know, but then it's like, okay, the short term thinking now it's like, okay, now we're out of Egypt and we're out of other places. So it's like, so you just, did you cold Turkey that thing or do you read any books that? Yeah, I cold Turkey did. 
Sal. Like a baller. Yeah, after about 130 tries before then. But, you know, 131. 131 did it. (laughs) Sick, man. That's cool. I learned all sorts of things about you. Yeah, right. Rockstar. (laughs) About what a degenerate I am. Uh, No, not anymore. I mean... (laughs) In the past, be like, yeah, right. I have yet to have someone smoke on this podcast, but I think that would be kind of funny, actually. Kind of funny. Yeah, yeah just get someone who's chain smoking during this. <laughs> <laughs> They're like nervous. Oh, yeah, I hope you don't mind. You know, but if I interview <laughs> someone from like some of the foreign countries, man, it's just it's just different. How it's just it's interesting how people look at it, and they put even worse warnings on foreign cigarette boxes too. Like I know that's how it's gonna implode. Yeah, they had those. I think they were just rolling those out when I was in Egypt. And they're horrific. And that's how I knew they didn't work. I was like, this is a really good idea on paper. I probably would have recommended this to somebody to do it. It would work in like the States, I think. But I'm like, in certain cultures where people have been smoking since childhood, it doesn't even matter. They don't care. Yeah, unless they've had some like someone in their family get some kind of negative they're like nah, is that real or not i've seen people they, they figure out how to cover that up there's like a they put a piece of cardboard in there or something yeah, they just slide that. it between the, the wrapper and the thing and they just slide an index card in there and they don't even see it anymore you yeah. know it's yeah. interesting your well, brain cool, gets man. weird once you're addicted to something like that <laughs> yeah you're like nope out of sight out of mind i'm good okay. these are these are hell well they have candy cigarettes too you know can you are you like no smoking ever or like cigars or anything like that i've had a couple cigars but i don't really smoke them that yeah. much so, well it'd be hard not to just inhale it yeah yeah and also it's idea. like you know I, i'm like man i've probably done it. i love like a good cigar and i'll do it like a wedding or celebration yeah yeah, yeah people are doing it but on my own like no i just am like i've probably destroyed my lungs so much so sure. I, I gotta probably make up for lost time well you, yeah you give it a cut well they say they're like five years though and it's almost like you've never done it so. you know? yeah yeah so I, are you there now you got healthy legs now it's you gotta like get I've out never there did it. I've, podcast, I've never smoked <laughs> right it's like it never happened <laughs> right. wait does that mean i can go smoke for five years and then uh yeah. Five years? Oh my God. I don't know why this reminds me of this. I was reading some random Reddit thread where someone was like, what are the best, most memorable threads on Reddit you've ever read? And one of them was like, there was this guy who wanted to convince his wife to quit smoking. She was a pretty serious smoker. And so he was like, it's not that hard to quit. Look at it. I'll smoke for a month and quit. And apparently 10 years later, he was still smoking and she had quit. <laughs> And I was like, wow, boy, you really shot yourself in the foot on that one. Yeah. Th- there's some lines you just can't cross in life. Like you know, there, there's <laughs> right. some like extreme drugs out there that, you know, you get hooked from one. Right. Um, so yeah, it's like there, the, alligators will eat you. Like there's certain things you, like, nature <laughs> is out to get you, man. Wow. That's crazy that he just, he got pulled in there, especially if yeah. she's doing it, man. If, if, if you have someone that you're partnering up with and they're smoking all the time, like, so hard tough tough stuff yeah. well hey where can people connect with you they want to reach out connect with you linkedin twitter's all the places yeah. what, what are some good uh links 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just Mike Kaput on Twitter uh, is a great way to do it. I'm not as active on there in the last couple months while we've been getting kind of marketing academy launch. Since the revolution, you know. <laughs> um, LinkedIn's a good one. Uh, we're just very active on there. Just look up Mike Kaput, uh, Director of Marketing AI Institute. You'll find okay. me pretty quick. Um, you should also check out marketingacademy.ai. That's kind of our main site for AI Academy for Marketers. So I'd say that's probably a good place to kind of learn all about that if you're interested. And obviously, you know, marketingaiinstitute.com is a pretty clear representation of all the work we're trying to do with AI and marketing. Wow. Wow. Good stuff, man. We're going to put all those links um, in the show notes to be able to connect with you uh, there. Appreciate you coming out here, man. This is fun. We'll have to have you come back on. We'll just have to talk like writing later on content content ninja yeah that's the thing with all the ai stuff i can still uh still love to talk you know traditional the art and science of writing too yeah yeah the written words i think storytelling would be fun to talk about too you know yeah no this is an awesome format podcast like you're an excellent interviewer i just loved oh thanks man oh shucks (laughs) you can come back you don't have to say (laughs) right juicy i just like (laughs) slid in there right oh man yeah it's been fun man and and for those people listening if you've learned something and i freaking know you did because i literally have two pages of notes front and back no room margins right just crazy notes if you learn something share this with someone else be a thought leader on whatever platform you want linkedin's a great one but put your put your takeaways in front put your takeaways put the the link in the comments because that's how that works these days on on social um, but then tell us what you thought. Tell us what the takeaways were. There's so many things we learned about AI, the sniff test, the understanding of what it is, what it isn't, the idea of making machines smarter, right? The making themselves smarter. That's what we're looking for, the pattern matching, all those things. So share that with stuff, uh, with, with your crew, 80 people, 87, 94, 508, like whatever, however many people you have, you know, you're connected to, 9,000 even. Just share that out. Tag Mike and I. We'll comment in there, have a great conversation. And that gets, you know, lots of, lots of comments and engages for you. That's how thought leadership works. So, Mike, again, man, this has been fun. Thanks for hanging out. Look forward to chatting with you again. Hey, thank you for having me. I look forward to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Maybe we'll do a little, little Arabic on the next one. Next podcast, uh, completely in Arabic. <laughs> Which means I know like four words, but I'm interviewing, so I'm okay. Maybe we can find some AI that can translate my bad Arabic into good Arabic. We we'll should. See. We should. Well, well, Shokran to you. And, uh, and for everyone else out there listening, this has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time. 